2: Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the DFS NFL podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I'm your host, Joe P. Zaffia, and joining me today is another Joe. is a very special Joe. He's Joe from Rotowire. Joe Bartel is going to join me for our DFS recap show and look ahead to the Monday-Thursday games. Joe, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. You know, my voice is a little rusty because I was at the Packer game last night, uh, but we came away with a win, so I'm
2: definitely feeling great this morning. Well, look, I mean, there's worse things to be horse over. That's for sure. You know, you go to con- good concerts, something like that. But going to the Packer game, that's pretty fun. Plus, you got to see a-, a W for the Green Bay Packers. I'm sure that's a very exciting thing. Plus, you know, just so you know, it sounds sexy for the ladies. You know, we got like that raspy voice, so – that's i didn't even think about that but you're right i'm I'm helping out the female population and that's that's right so all the ladies listening this is the (laughs) sexiest version of joe bartell you might get all year i don't (laughs) know how many packer home games he's going to but we'll we'll find that out so we are going to break down for you uh all the week that was in dfs or the weekend at the very least uh but before we do you know let's just talk a little week one you know right off the gate uh i know that You know, everybody see the David Johnson injury and that kind of sucks. It's funny. You look at a lot of the big nine talent. You didn't get Jay Ajayi because of the weather or Mike Evans, right? No Odell Beckham because of the ankle. You've got uh, Le'Veon Bell with the holdout who didn't play well. Then you got David Johnson with an injury. Really, the elite talent, the NFL this week, was not exactly what we were hoping for.
1: Oh, and you also left out Mike Evans too, who I know hurt quite a bit for me personally, um, being a guy that I targeted a lot later in drafts that wasn't able to play because that same uh, canceled game moved to the bye week in week 11. That, that to me was another one. Just that this had to be, and, I, and I'm a little bit younger, so I guess I can't say this with for certainty, this had to be one of the weirdest weeks in fantasy sports that I can recall, especially football, just with all the weird injuries, the, the holdouts that you mentioned, the game being moved to week 11, that was supposed to be week one, um, two monday night games too which is also kind of impacting things a little bit because you have to put a different strategy when you're when you're doing your regular lineups plus really dfs too it, this was just a, a fluky week that's that's how I'm telling myself mentally that this was just a fluky week
2: well i'll tell you what this happens more often than you realize i think the week one last couple of years of it just seems to be getting worse and worse and, you know, I have a theory about it. I'm going to share it with you, and you tell me what you think. Um, I, I think that, the, there you go. It's not a conspiracy theory, but I think this is just a practical one. We'll see uh, what your thoughts are on it. But, you know, the way the preseason is structured, right? Nobody plays in week four of the preseason. So basically, most of the, well, all of these teams with their main players are almost coming off a bye. They tend to be flat. They tend to not be in rhythm. I don't understand why they don't play two preseason games, limit all the injuries, let the starters play the first quarter of the first game the first full half of the second game, and then go right into playing football. Because I think part of the reason you see these teams so flat and weird out of the gate is they have no timing. They have no continuity here because, really, they haven't played much together. And, you know, I understand they want to evaluate all this talent on the back end of the roster, but is that really worth it when we look at what we saw week one? I mean, this was a lot of bad football in week one. Let's be honest. Yeah,
1: if it's harming the main product, which I have to imagine – Uh, week one was probably not what a lot of people were expecting from the NFL season. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe that's what the owners are looking for and and the people that are scheduling the the games are want. But personally me, I was like, Oh, the Falcons only beat the bears 23 to 17. What, what's going on with that? Mm -hmm. The Bengals didn't score a single touchdown, single point rather against the Ravens divisional game. Come on. What is that? So I, you know, I don't know if that's so much a theory as, what everyone that
2: knows football wants to happen, I feel like, right? Because that's well, it's too- what I want to happen, that's for sure. But I'm, I'm trying to finally, you know, justify all of my wants <laughs> and desires in life of the why preseason sucks and why it's too long. And I'm looking at I'm, – I'm, you're starting to see the effect of it, I think, In week one, the last few years, where these teams look flat, they don't look like they're in rhythm. The players, the quarterbacks, they don't look like they're in lockstep with their receivers. It's just a lot of sloppy football, like all on on all accounts. You know, pretty much every team in the first half of yesterday's games looked sloppy.
1: Yeah, I I I agree with you. I don't think there's any other way to put it, and I don't know if there's really anything else that you can blame it on besides the preseason games. In my mind, that that's the main culprit behind it as well. Now, whether you cut it down to two two games or whatever, I, I don't know if, what what that would be the situation there. I, I think that it's clear, though, that we're getting a, a diminished product, at least if you're looking at the past couple week ones, as far as what we're expecting from the NFL. All
2: right, let's get to some of the GPP studs of the week. Uh, and let's start a quarterback. I think a quarterback that a lot of people had shares of the other part of this game. It was the Arizona side, but Detroit putting up 35 the $7,600 Matt Stafford was owned somewhere around 3%, depending on the tournaments. And he put up 28 points, I think, against a tough defense. I don't know if anybody really saw this coming. Uh, Certainly a great win. Now, the question is, Matthew Stafford and company getting off to a good start. Does this continue, potentially, as they go against the Giants next week on Monday Night Football? In recent
1: seasons, after Kelvin Johnson retired, obviously, the Lions have actually been trending towards more of a running attack so I thought it was a little strange to see them give so much money to Matthew Stafford. Now, obviously, um, we know that the quarterback play is very important for any NFL team. And I think that to have a good quarterback, you kind of have to lock them up. And they are forced to pay him, in my mind. So at the same time, I was like, "That's that was a head scratcher when I saw that money come in. You look at the production he put together, though, here, and I, I have to wonder, Well, what was I thinking? Because you're right, the Cardinals' defense was supposed to be really good. Uh, They played really well in the preseason for the most part, and I think that was a a matchup that a lot of people wanted to avoid. But yet, here we have Stafford throwing four touchdowns. Partially, that was because they were in comeback mode, it felt like, or at least both teams. How is it possible? You tell me. How is it possible that both teams (laughs) – Felt like they were in comeback mode that whole game. <laughs> you're right.
0: that's, what it, that's what it
2: looked like. It was a lot of desperation, and I think that goes back <laughs> to the earlier point. You're absolutely right. I watched part of that game, and the, you know, I was going back and forth between a t- couple of different ones, and yeah, there was a weird feeling of desperation, and maybe that came from partially, you know, the David Johnson injury late, and maybe it also came from the fact that Amir Abdul is completely useless. It <laughs> appears again, and you know, the lack that's of it. running game. Ooh. Right? Yeah, and, and you're just hoping that everybody can get take their shots downfield and figure it out. But, yeah, I mean, Stafford and Golden Tate, it was a great combination. If you had them, uh, that was fantastic. We're talking about, you know, 16.4 for Golden Tate points-wise, a a good outing for him across the century, Mark, and that's what you want. Uh, Let's go over to the running backs, talk about a couple of them. We know Le'Veon Bell was a disappointment. David Johnson, unfortunately, with the injury, was a disappointment as well. But Jordan Howard, just 6% owned. Uh, in most tournaments, he put up 14. Now, Tariq Cohen actually got a fair amount of looks, too. Yeah. Now, If you had Tariq Cohen in a flex and DraftKings, you did very well. There were actually is a lineup. Uh, <laughs> I think the Millionaire Maker actually uh, winning lineup had Tariq Cohen. In it. He put up 25 over on the other side, on the other side. So, I mean, just a huge day. But here's the question. Now, going forward, how does this Tariq Cohen part of the offense, especially now that Kevin White's out for the year again – how can we possibly now gauge this? Like, is this a, a weird kind of spot where there's enough to go around for both of them, in your opinion, or do you think Howard's still the guy and Cohen's more of this one-off GPP kind of play?
1: It sounds like you're on repeat every single year with that oh, Kevin White stuff. I, I really liked him coming in uh, from college, and I, that's—I think that's it. Like, is there really anything more that you can expect from Kevin White other than a, a week one season-ending injury? Because that's this that's that's all and that's good that's good some years yeah (laughs) sometimes he doesn't (laughs) even get that let's be honest (laughs) I'm not even a a Bears. well obviously I'm not a Bears fan but that break my heart I I really thought Kevin White was gonna be pretty good but back to your original question I was not at all a fan of Tariq Cohen I thought that was that was a blown pick by the Bears given what they what I thought they needed and and obviously at least week one they utilized him pretty well I'm not a huge fan of the the coordinator over there and I, I thought that they would just simply not be able to know how to utilize him correctly. Now, the rushing yards, he broke one big play where he had a run. He ran a the left side and then ran all the way back to the right side and, and made things happen out of that. So I'm not really counting on him to be able to produce, what was it, 50-plus 50, 50 rushing yards in that game? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: At the same time, I do think they're going to utilize him in the short passing game. I'm a little concerned in season-long leagues, seeing how much they use Cohen, that, okay, maybe Jordan Howard isn't as big of a stud as I thought he would, but... In DFS, I think there's a scenario where you could have both of them be potentially lucrative options. Obviously, they're not going to be having Cohen run in the goal line very often, if at all. So, Howard's going to get the majority of the carries. And maybe the Bears' offense isn't as bad as we anticipated they would be to start the year. So, Howard will have more opportunities to get in the red zone and capitalize on that. Obviously, he's a talent too. Like, we can't just ignore that. So, I think Howard's still a guy that I would use quite a bit. But I'm not going to be paying up uh, extremely high for a price tag, especially when we have Tariq Cohen around catching a lot of those passes and just taking a lot more snaps from Jordan Howard.
2: Yeah, Tariq Cone, uh, 66 yards on the ground and the one catch for the touchdown, 47. Uh, I, I think this was a bit of a one-off. I think his ownership is going to be way too high next week and it's going to be the opposite. The reason why it was a good play this week is because nobody was really on it. Opposite this time around coming into week two. All right, let's talk about some of the guys that were chalk at running back that paid off. And, you know, I always say this every year, you know, just because a guy is a good salary and is going to be highly owned doesn't make him a bad play, especially in tournaments. Uh, you know, in the top lineups, it was a lot of Todd Gurley, you know, he was anywhere from 30 to 35% owned in some spots. And he had himself a fantastic day. He, you know, he, he put up the points. It was a great matchup for him. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to buy into how good Jared Goff was. I think it's more how bad Indianapolis was. But certainly with Cooper Cup, certainly, look, there's Rams in general. You might as well just pick them apart because Goff was useful. Cup was useful, especially in a full-point PPR. And Todd Gurley, I think, starting to get back on track and hopefully becoming the Todd Gurley again, uh, that we had hoped that we would see last year that we really didn't, and you know how bad Jeff Fisher is as a coach as well. But I'm thinking Todd Gurley salary-wise is going to take a pretty big jump in the next couple of weeks. What are your thoughts? I would expect that too, and I will
1: call, I will say that I thought Todd Gurley was the uh, fantasy play at running back, at least at least one of them. Um, I, I, the Colts defense was not very good last year. I didn't think they made any noticeable changes in the off season. So uh, Todd Gurley was a guy I had in every one of my lines, it felt like, and, and, and obviously he did pretty well. I was not anticipating a 46-9 to blowout at all. Two defense touchdowns really adds into that, but still, like that, I was a little bit closer of a game. That Rams defense is really good. That Colts offense is really, really bad, um, and I think we saw both of those on, on prime display Sunday. Going back to the point, I, I'm a little worried about Jared Goff um, using him. I, I, I wouldn't be expecting 300-plus yards passing from Jared Goff most times, so if we're to take one player away from this game, I think it's Todd Gurley, and I think that he is back. I would be – uh, comfortable using him in, in certain situations. Obviously when he's going against a tough run defense with the fact that Jared Goff maybe just isn't that good of a quarterback. Time will only tell. Obviously he had a good week this week. Um there'll be a lot of people highlighting the run. And I don't think Todd really will be able to utilize it that effectively. But at the same time, you know, if Jared Goff can do what he did again, like if if this is a resurgent sophomore season, that's a different Rams offense that we have not seen in a long time with a, a solid quarterback, a solid running back and maybe Two solid receivers, obviously Sammy Watkins, they made the deal for him in the preseason. Um, He didn't do quite as well as I think maybe some of us were anticipating. But Cooper Cup was a guy that I was not high on at all coming out of the draft, and he did very well against the Colts. So this is a different Rams offense than we might have ever been able to anticipate.
2: Yes, it looks like an actual useful one for a change. Shocker. Again, Shocker. let you know how bad of a football coach and how outdated Jeff Fisher and those systems were. It was just just absolutely awful. So hopefully but Joe, he's again. on hard knocks. He has to be good. Well, that's true. You know, that's a great <laughs> point. You know <laughs> and to quote the hard knocks, this is some seven and nine BS. That's what it is. <laughs> you know? And and that's why. It's because they were running systems that were completely and utterly outdated. And it was just just insane. Uh, LeSean, uh just just for perspective too. You know of how bad a day it was for the top guys. David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell combined skill scored less points than Todd Gurley yesterday. So that's, that's
1: tough. <laughs> yeah, that's,
2: that's a tough, tough day. Yep, uh, that's a real tough day. One more running back to get to Lashawn McCoy. Uh, you know, look, they're going to run Lashawn McCoy into the ground, and DFS is where you want him because if he, if and when he does get hurt, uh, because of the amount of volume, they're going to have to rely on him with. You know, at least in the daily world, you don't have to to worry about him season long wise, running him out there again the week after. So he becomes a very, very appealing running back. Again, I always like LeSean McCoy as a fade from the very top guys because he offers very similar production. And I can tell you what, the other thing we learned is we can just troll the Jets all year (laughs) long because if the Bills are putting up 21 against them and, you know, the Bills are not a great offense by any stretch of the means at all. Just keep finding the Jets matchups, keep strolling them, and, and just keep going. All right, another stud here on the wide receiver end. Uh, we've got two from Oakland, Michael Crabtree, and Cooper both having good days. Crabtree a little bit more uh, solid with the receptions, but Cooper with the touchdown again. Cooper he should continues. have had a better game. He, he, he dropped should've. three touchdown passes on one drive. He should have. And you know what? It's, it's, it's a shame. But the good news is, Joe, things are looking up because guess who he gets next week at home? The Jets! Hooray! <laughs> Hooray, Michael Crabtree. So, look, it, it, everything you said is right there. I'm thinking that Crabtree next week might even be the better play. I think everybody will see that touchdown from Cooper. There will be a lot of Cooper-Carr pairings, but I'll still take the Crabtree one, especially in cash games. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think Crabtree gives you a safer floor, right? I mean, he's the guy that is targeted more frequently than Mari Cooper in the last two years. I think that's the case. And obviously, red zone might be a different scenario. You're looking for a boomer bust, not so much boomer bust, because Cooper's still an amazing talent. I I don't want to make it seem like he's not, but I think Crabtree's the guy that Carr feels more comfortable with. So if you were to partner two of those guys together, I think I would lean towards Crabtree as well. That being said, are you sure you want to do that against the Jets? They have a, a bad team. Just flat-out bad team. And there could be a situation where this is just Marshawn Lynch running all over the place, then we have you know, like DeAndre Washington or something, or Jalen Richard, that just gets a, a handful of carries, too, and, and they just simply run the ball and just try to run through the game because this should be a blowout once again. I,
2: to me, I'm not going anywhere near that because I don't think they're going to be passing that much. They I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm confident in how bad the Jets are that they will give enough, at least in that first half, to make those guys useful. That's... <laughs> <laughs> And you're right. The second half of this game towards the end, you know, maybe you get a little Washington in there. Maybe, you know, like you said, you get Marshawn Lynch ground and pounded. And look, I think Lynch becomes a little bit more viable next week because of that. Uh, you know, even as a trio, if you want to make a trio of the three of them, because I think there's going to be enough to go around there with, a, let's say, a cash game lineup where you get, you know, a Lynch car and Crabtree next which is not bad because then you're looking at two halves of the game. You're looking at Crabtree having enough early on, especially especially when you are looking for more of that possession-wide receiver that he's been for him over the last couple of years. All right, now let's talk about uh, Antonio Brown because it bears witness. Now, even though he's most weeks going to be the most expensive guy on the board for the most part, it's because of days like yesterday where he didn't even get in the end zone and he still crossed 23 points. Uh, his ownership was somewhere around 20% owned. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you, Antonio Brown, on a weekly basis, is probably the safest investment, season-long, daily fantasy, it doesn't matter, because I'll tell you, I don't know if you saw this game or not, but when you're watching that game, it was kind of lackluster. Next thing you know, a couple balls to Antonio Brown in a row, and all of a sudden, the offense just picks up and clicks, and, and it just goes on from there, and Pittsburgh went in to win 21-18, but Antonio Brown, 11 for 182, and next week's matchup, he's at home where Roethlisberger has been much better the last three years, so things are looking good for him next week as well. Antonio Brown is one of the receivers that I just generally like to watch, not even fantasy
1: purposes, not like I have a rooting interest in the Steelers or their point. I just like watching what he can do on the field now. Maybe off the field, the personality isn't a guy that I, I gravitate towards, but at the same time, what he does there, how he's really, truthfully, able to embarrass defensive backs at times is is something that's just fun to watch. I would say unique, not that we don't see cornerbacks getting embarrassed on a daily basis while watching NFL, but just in how he's able to do it at the talent level. And given his size, you wouldn't think a guy like that would be able to do the things that he does. I love Antonio Brown as a player. Um, daily fantasy, I normally stay away from him just because Le'Veon Bell is normally a, a bigger bigger point of that especially against the Browns team that I thought the Steelers would blow out that wasn't a guy that I was really looking at targeting but that was a lot closer than I think a lot of people anticipate and as a, as a result we see Antonio Brown cross the 20 point threshold so you know I, I agree with you that he's probably the safest receiver but that's also why you're paying so many so much big money for that and I think at least in tournament plays um You can either pivot and say, all right, I I want the safe thing. I want the safe player. Or I go in a different direction. And maybe that's why I'm not nearly as successful as I should be in DFS. But you go in a different direction and say, all right, let's go with a a bigger play potential. Because I think that there are other receivers out there that give you a higher ceiling. Whereas Brown is obviously one of the highest floors that you can get that position.
2: Well, and the Cleveland Browns to the point too, they're a much better defense than people give them credit for and they the front especially, you know, with Collins and you know when Garrett gets up to full speed there. I mean, I think that that's a that's a unit that I think is going to be underrated and undervalued. And if you're looking for a responsible punt defense, I mean, look at how they hang they hung with the Steelers yesterday for the most part and they were not 100%, and the offense didn't help them too much. But I, I think that that's one of those units that might be a sneaky play going forward, and especially in tournaments. Uh, speaking of defenses, too, I mean, how about those Rams? Can yeah. we talk about the Rams' defense? I mean, we talked about the Rams' offense, the juggernaut, the Super Bowl favorite, Los <laughs> Angeles Rams. They put up 46 points, but, I mean, not just the differential. They were just – I mean, they were all up on Scott Tolzien and then eventually Jacoby Brissett, four sacks, two picks – uh fumble for or a defensive touchdown yeah i mean yeah, yeah a couple touchdowns yeah two touchdowns right and the safety yeah. didn't have a safety in this one as well yeah um
1: i i hope for the colts fans that they didn't have a safety i, I i'm not positive whether or not they did all i know is that the two touchdowns will be running on the highlight reels for the uh, at least the current week it feels like because that was another blowout really defenses as a whole were were fantastic like I targeted the Steelers going against the Browns, thinking Deshaun Kaiser, rookie quarterback, not going to do so well. 18 points out of that's not bad on FanDuel. Um, then Jacksonville Jaguars, which was a surprise. I mean, with that, that whole game was a surprise to me. I thought the Texans would be the one that would destroy them. But, hey, Jaguars put up 28 points. They also had a, a defensive touchdown, too. Uh, turns out that Tom Savage actually isn't a good quarterback shock. Shocked I know. Wow. So wow. many
2: so many things Don't really just opened to that. up to us after week one. Like, you know, there's things that we never knew. And it's really it's, – it's so educational. <laughs> but, you know, here's a great question for you. Now, the, I know the Jacksonville – look, the Jacksonville can get to the quarterback. We know that. You know, Gamble yes. over there in that grouping, we know that that's a, a strong young unit. Now, the question is, how much of what we saw yesterday from the Jacksonville defense was because how bad Tom Savage and that offense was or – is this Jacksonville Jaguar defense for real? And then can we make some, you know, money on them because hey, this is an underpriced, underappreciated unit going into Week Two. Because Week Two they are at home. Let me take a look at against the Titans, which is not a cakewalk.
1: I was just going to say, I, I think I would target the Jacksonville Jaguars defense against anybody in the AFC South. So it's good that you told me that they play the Titans, so I don't, uh, as I can continue to back that up. You were talking about the Browns' defense is that one that you're like, oh, maybe they're maybe they're not as bad as you anticipate. The Jaguars defense is really, really good. Now, we haven't been able to see that because they haven't been able to put all their pieces together. This is what that Jaguars defense can do. I Tom Savage, I have full confidence, is horrible. I have I have full confidence in the fact that Tom <laughs> Savage is not a good quarterback. Don't don't doubt me on that at all. That being said, the Jaguars defense is a lot better than people are going to get credit for, and I think that they're going to be one that you can capitalize multiple weeks until we start to see that oh yeah actually no wait this is a very good team they have the pass rushers they have the run stoppers they have athletic linebackers that are fast that can make plays in coverage and they have the quarterbacks maybe the safety is the only part that that defense is, is hindering on but that's a good team uh, at least defensively now if Blake Bortles can do what he does uh, at least what he did against that Texans defense which I also think is pretty good that might be an overall pretty good team but I can feel very confident saying the Jaguars is a team that I would not be targeting to take advantage of at least on other teams' players, and I certainly would be looking at them for DFS purposes and season-long leagues, depending on the matchups.
2: You know, it's funny I owned him in this in a season-long league yesterday, and it was I almost thought about dropping him at the last minute. And I was like, ah, you know, what? I'm going to leave him in there. Savage isn't bad. We'll see if they can get to the quarterback and. Uh... Get to him, they did. <laughs> you know, they certainly, uh, certainly put Six sacks for... in the first half. Yeah, six not bad. Not a bad scenario. Like I said, I was hoping for a couple. Uh, I didn't expect what I got. Uh, let, you know, let's talk about the tight ends real fast, too, and just kind of hit those before we start looking at Monday night's games. Because Zach Ertz, obviously, you know, the PPR monster that we thought he would be, a great return on investment, did not get in the end zone. But I think as long as he's continuously a part of this offense like this, you're, you're going to get some red zone conversion eventually let's not freak out here and in either way you know at least in cash games that that floor you're going to get what you pay for out of him you know I know Witten had a touchdown last night too which is not something you saw a lot last year but a guy right. who was targeted in the offense a great deal uh and tight ends too then of course you had the Austin Hooper giant touchdown but I'm gonna warn everybody stay away from that be careful of that because that's such a one-off. A couple years ago, I remember Zach Miller had an 87-yard touchdown run. That was like the first time when it happened since 1999 where a tight end had an 80-plus yard reception. So it's a weird thing, okay, for a tight end to have yeah. giant touchdowns. Don't go chasing last week and all the things. Because I'm telling you right now, Austin Hooper's ownership is going to double week to week just off of the, that, that potential, quote-unquote. And I think that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. You look at the stats in Austin Hooper,
1: over 120 receiving yards, two catches, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's he's a he's a stud tight end or whatever. And and obviously he was a guy that was on a lot of fantasy radars um, as as a under the radar type of player that you could get um, as the 14th or 15th drafted tight end in redraft leagues, obviously, and who could be a top ten guy. We saw the numbers this week, but that was a blown coverage. That There's no other way to describe that touchdown play. A blown coverage and even a worse tackle. I don't put in a lot of credence to that. If you're buying Austin Hooper, you're, buy, uh, you're buying him because you think that he can be more consistent than what we just saw there. Yeah, he's got big play potential. I think a lot of people in the Falcons' the offense in general do but you're buying it for the consistency. Now, let's go back to Jason Whitney you were talking about. He scored a touchdown. He's more consistent in the fact that Dak Prescott has to look to him in yeah. the middle of the field for PPR purposes. Same goes for Zach Ertz. I'm not – like when I'm looking at a tight end, yeah, getting the touchdowns is great. Like Jesse James that, you know, stumbled into the two Ed's, Renzo touchdowns. Perfect. All right. Yeah, I'd love to have that happen. But we don't really know. As much as we like to pretend we do when we're talking and doing these podcasts, we don't really know who's going to be putting together all these touchdowns and stuff. So I like the consistent floor. Um, that comes with a lot of these pass-catching tight ends. And Zach Ertz, I have never been one that hurts for Ertz. I, I can I can assure you that is not something that I have really put onto my mantra. But at the same time, Carson Wentz seems to like him. I think Carson Wentz as a quarterback is going to be developing uh, a lot better. I, I'm more of a Wentz fan than a Goff fan. And if we thought Goff was doing well, I think Wentz had a great game too. So um, I might have to get a little bit more on the Ertz bandwagon as much as it pains me to to fall into that uh, team name that always seems to happen
2: in fantasy football. No, I, I agree um, with you. I watched the, I watched a, a lot of Carson Wentz yesterday, and he was good luck. He got out of a lot of pressure, too, made some athletic throws, uh, some some good moving around in the pocket there. I think you like what you saw out of Wentz. But Wentz also started out good last year, and I'm not. And it didn't go well down the stretch. So I'm hoping that whatever that is, that's the learning curve, and they've surrounded him with more talent and hopefully – guys like Jeffrey guys like blonde, you know, more veteran presence there that will be able to help that development and give him a little bit more confidence. You know, the other tight end that I love this week, but unfortunately was a bus was Tyler Eifert, but that's really because, you know, Andy Dalton wasn't able to complete a pass to anyone on his own team. That seemed to be a bit of a yeah, struggle. Plenty, plenty in the, the Ravens side. I mean, he, he definitely was able to find oh, that. Oh yeah. Record. Yeah. I, w- Kirk, I wish I had Denver been open all the time. Oh yeah. And, and he found him. Oh, Oh, <laughs> did he find him? All right, let's take a look. We've got uh, two Monday night games. I'm playing around with some lineups here. Uh, we've got New Orleans at Minnesota. We've got the Chargers, of the Los Angeles Chargers, by the way, as the first <laughs> game is the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, at the Denver Broncos. And there's no Monday-Thursday game, so you can't uh, loop them in contest-wise. Now, I don't know if that's just because of the double Monday night game. That's how it's running Or if that's something that now they're doing away with Monday, Thursday, we'll just see next week to be sure. But right now you can only play the two Monday night games together here. Um, It's very difficult to get a cash game with Drew Brees in it unless you are really taking a hit somewhere at running back. Like you're going to have to go down to like to C.J. Anderson and hope for the Adrian Peterson kind of revenge game narrative and and even then it's tough because then you want to pair him with Michael Thomas. So the only way you can really do it make it work is if you kind of you play around with it, you put Ted Ginn with him, but all of a sudden you put Ted Ginn with Breeze. And I, I didn't care for that as a cash game lineup. I think the better cash game grouping is probably Sam Bradford and company. Like I Bradford and Thielen or Bradford and Diggs in any kind of way or if you want to put Rudolph in that grouping too. That seems to be the better cash game route right now, and I'm thinking Breeze is actually a better GPP play because of how difficult the salary dynamic is with these four teams out there on the slate. Forget the forget the
1: salary part of it. I, why would we want to play Drew Breeze against? arguably, and, and maybe this is going off the rails a little bit. But I don't oh, think no, it's I'm, a, I'm, I'm buying the Vikings, so I'm, that I'm Vikings probably on this with That Vikings defense might be the best one in the league. Like I truly believe that. If they can have everyone healthy, if they have them developing as we anticipate them doing, and if they're gelling as much as we are, that's one of the best defenses in the league. And now, Drew Brees is Drew Brees. Like, I, I'm not saying that he's going to you know throw for 50 yards and look like the second coming of Jared Goff last year, but at the same time, I, I'm not looking at him in a, in a DFS setting in any way because I think that Vikings defense is really good. I I kind of am on the same way with uh, Phil Rivers, too, who I like a lot in a season-long league. He struggled mightily against the Broncos last year. Now, the offense didn't change too much. The defense from the Broncos didn't change too much. I'm expecting similar things for that game, too. So, uh, it's between Trevor Simeon and Sam Bradford, and uh, that already has me going, Like, I don't want to use any of those guys for a quarterback. Well, you know, here's my
2: defense of Bradford, and I'll see what you think of this. My defense of Bradford is, last year, this guy came in and basically week one with a new playbook, new offense, new cast, lost his offensive coordinator, or at least a changeover from North Turner a couple of weeks into the season. And he performed pretty admirably. And now you've added a young Delvin cook who I am all kinds of, you know, thumbs up. Me on. Too. It. Let me tell you, me too. I me love too. Dalvin cook. He was terrific in college. The thing I'm like most about cook where I think he's going to exceed in the NFL is his ability to break tackles. You know, it that first initial impact was never the one that brought him down. And I think that's the thing that I think you need in the NFL because they're going to get to you and they're going to hit you. And those running backs, you know, this was my kind of knock on Kareem hunt is, you know, I know he played so well in the first game, but if you watch Kareem hunt, it's not the same as when you watch Dalvin cook, Dalvin cook takes a hit and another hit and he keeps going you know, Kareem Hunt would take a hit and then, you know, go down or change. You know, it's, it's very different, and against lesser defenses too. So for me in this one, I think Cook, I think Thielen, I think Diggs, I think Rudolph, I think Bradford, and I'm looking at it I'm saying this is a really well-balanced offense, and if they've had a lot of time in a full offseason together, I think this bodes well for helping that defense not get as jet-lagged as they did down in the second half last year because they were just too much pressure. They were on the field too much.
1: Of course, on our very first podcast together, you would bring up one of the worst moments as a Packers fan last season, that being Sam Bradford letting us up despite the fact that he had a week of practice in his first game with the Vikings. So, <laughs> I'm yes, sorry. Yes, thank you. Thank I'm you sorry. It was, uh, it's you an open wound.
2: Memories. Well, if, I'm a, if, I gave, if I had any consolation, I'm a Pats fan. So the season started <laughs> off rough for me as well. However, I'm reminding everybody as we turn the page as well into week two, go back and look at 2014, the last time the Chiefs played the Patriots. Brady was even worse. Uh, In fact, at the end of that game, he came out for Jimmy Garoppolo because that game was so out of hand. He threw a couple picks, Mm -hmm. 159. Niall Davis uh, rushed for 100-plus yards. So did Jamal Charles. So between the two of them, they were basically what Kareem Hunt did. For whatever reason, Kansas City seems to own them. And if anybody recalls, they went to the Super Bowl and won that year. So you should buy all (laughs) shares of Patriots wherever you can. And next week, I guarantee you, there will be some shy ownership against oh. New Orleans, and I tell you, I'm not going to be one of them. I don't know nope. about you, Joe. Yep.
1: I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm going to be targeting plenty of Patriots. I think that that revenge narrative, um, we hear quite a bit in sports just in general. I think that's going to be a very legitimate one, and the Patriots have utilized that effectively throughout the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era, so I'm, I'm, I'm completely on board with you. I did want to go back to that Monday night uh, game that you were talking about a little bit, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just going to quickly touch. Kareem Hunt is not as good as Delvin Cook in my mind. But Kareem Hunt is still very, very good. That's more just uh, how good Delvin Cook can be. I think they both are excellent at breaking tackles. I think last season, actually, they were number one and two in all of college football in the uh, broken tackle category. So it's not to say that Kareem Hunt can't do that. Delvin Cook will do that against that Saints defense that, while they added a bunch of pieces, I don't know if it really made them that much better. Um, I like Delvin Cook against the Saints running the ball. I like Kyle Rudolph quite a bit as a tight end to target, especially in a, a two Monday night game, I, I think that he'll do fantastic because they're going to move the ball. They're probably going to be in the red zone. And Kyle Rudolph gets targeted enough where I think that he's a, a guy that I would look at quite a bit. I am not on Adam Thielen bandwagon and all that, that seems to be one of those. And I, I said it very early in the fantasy season. And it seems to hold true that Adam Thielen's one of those guys that uh, name your fantasy expert, whoever it wants to be, um, that you're, you find good. I don't know what other than any other way to put it um, that would say Adam Thielen is going to be a great uh, ninth, 10th round pick, and he'll always boast that one on Twitter, and then ends up getting, you know, 40 or 50 yards, and that's it. I'm not, a, I'm not an Adam Thielen fan at all. I think Stefan Diggs, if you're going to partner anybody with the Sam Bradford play, is the guy that I'm looking at. I think that he adds a bit more dyna- uh, dynamic ability, um, and they will look to target him in this week one game. I think that he will absolutely be a target for uh, the Vikings when they're not looking at Kyle Rudolph and not running with Dalvin Cook.
2: Yeah, I would imagine, especially with Snead out too, Michael Thomas is going to be fairly active in this one. So that's another guy that's almost a must-own. And in the late game too, another guy that's a must-own, if he could figure out a way to work him in price-wise and maybe fade quarterback a little bit or fade tight end is Melvin Gordon. You know, last year – look, I know the Denver defense is very good. We, no one's – you know – going to argue that, but against the rush last year, they weren't as good as you think they were. You know, you got to go and dig a little bit deeper into the numbers. And last year he had 94 rushing yards in the first game, and the second game against him, 111. And then he had 44 receptions in that. So he put up 17 and a half last year so in that second game, and that was in Denver. And I'll tell you what, Melvin Gordon, this – you know, Chargers defense, I think, is better than people give them credit for. The Chargers offense with Keenan Allen, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can actually get a season out of Keenan Allen. I know so far it's not boding well with another Kevin White injury. I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to say rosaries and light candles and do all <laughs> these things here for Keenan Allen. But, you know, I think the Chargers are going to be competitive in this one more than some other people do. And I can't really get excited too much about the Denver side. I can't get excited about C.J. Anderson. Yes, it's fine. It's a fine play. There will be volume his way, but I don't know how much upside he offers. And, you know, as good as Emmanuel Sanders is, it's another situation like Ertz. Lots of opportunities last year in the red zone. Not a lot of conversions.
1: Of the four starting running backs that are playing today, I think I would go Delvin Cook number one, Melvin Gordon number two. But I do want to stress with you that I don't think Melvin Gordon is a great play um, I'm actually the beat writer for the Chargers at RotoWire, so I'm intimately familiar with all the injury happenings that have happened over with the Chargers over the last two or three mm-hmm. years. Um, I, I put the entire blame on Keenan Allen, Love Train, um, and the injuries that I have ensued because I have been so high on him lately. So I really tried to tamper that just a little bit this season because I, I like Keenan Allen, so I, I tried not to boost him up. I think he is a good play. I think he will be getting at least 10 targets against that Broncos offense. That being said – Melvin Gordon, you, you talked about the yards he got. What we you didn't mention is how many carries he had taken. I think that um, uh, the second game that he played where he had over 100 yards or close to it, he broke off one big run. And other than that, he had under two-point uh, yards
2: Yeah, carry. 23 carries for 111 in that one. So they were I, feeding him,
1: you know? Yes, yeah, and they, they're going to do that. I think whether it be rushing or passing, Gordon will get close to 25 to 30 touches because that's what the offense likes to do for the Chargers. They're going to be moving the ball quite a bit. I just don't know if he's a guy that I would, I would look at now – Obviously, there's, again, four starting running backs. You have to really just pick two. I'm not a huge Adrian Peterson fan. I certainly am not a Mark Ingram fan. So Delvin Cook, Melvin Gordon probably be the direction I go. But temper your expectations there because I just don't think that he's going to be able to replicate the same type of numbers. I think that Broncos defense is pretty darn good. And I don't know if Melvin Gordon has quite figured out how to break that Broncos defense.
2: All right, before we close up shop, Adrian Peterson, does he get in the end zone in Minnesota tonight? Yes or no? Yes, only
1: because they're going to force feed him. I think they're going, to, they're going to call all the fourth down plays. Forget field goals today. They're just going to go all fourth down and hand it off every single time they're in the red zone. I think he scores just to the revenge factor. I don't think he does much, though, in DFS purposes.
2: All right. You can follow him on Twitter at JBFantasySports. You can follow me at JoePiziaPia17. For everybody here at Rotowire, have a great night of Daily Fantasy.